used to be more difficult to catch up in person with guitarist John Stoll. That's because he used to spend so much of his life on the road, playing and teaching. Since we're currently Skyping, instead, it's not so hard. There's not been a lot of traveling or live playing going on, as you may have heard. Fortunately, John has been teaching online for years before the current tribulation, so he was prepared to a degree when it happened. He has a new album with Don Dean called Rain Painting. You can hear the title tune at the end of our conversation. John has a huge body of work over a long period of time, but he has never stopped growing as an artist. He's got a couple of gigs coming up, and we'll hear about that, and many other things in the world of John Stoll. Hi, John. It's been a long time. Tom, how are you? Thank you for having me today. I, that, you know, how, how are people, when you say, you automatically say how you're doing, but it's a loaded question these days, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, but we're all obviously trying to reimagine ourselves and collaborate in new ways. And uh, in some ways, it's kind of a silver lining for me, because although I had an online presence before, I wasn't doing a lot of regular online teaching. I just had courses you could buy online, and I do the, the occasional one-off Skype lesson. Uh -huh. So those of us who spend most of the time touring and playing had to quickly kind of try to reconfigure our musical realities here. And I hired yeah. a friend from Germany who I play with over there uh -huh. to help me with social media posts. So we got my own YouTube channel up and running. Um, I offered free Skype lessons initially just to let people know that I was available to teach more often. And about uh -huh. 50 people said yes. So some of those people have returned as paying students. Uh -huh. um, I'm also involved in some educational courses that I was able to get done right before the pandemic kicked in and some CDs that were recorded before the pandemic kicked in that have come out. So, I've tried to keep busy and I'm surviving, thankfully. How have you adapted your teaching uh, to to online uh, the online situation? Well, I've done I had done some online teaching before, so I'm comfortable okay. with that. Okay. Either use Skype or Zoom. I've done in some cases uh, mm -hmm. Zoom workshops with friends who've either set up private workshops for me with their students or a number of schools, some in Europe, some in the states. So these are people I know already who are kind enough to try to put the word out with um, the, you know, the faculties and the organizations there to see if there's funding available to have me come in and do a Zoom workshop. And I've done now uh, quite a few of them in the, last, uh, in the last year, more than I had in the past. And I think going forward, even as I am hopefully able to get back out on the road again, maybe later this year or whenever I can, um, I will keep this component of my musical life going online. I can take the, the iPad with me anywhere and do a lesson or a yeah. workshop, yeah. and I enjoy it. Well, good, good. You actually have a gig on Saturday night, don't you? I do, thanks to our mutual friend Kelly Shannon, who's a wonderful singer that we've both known for years. Yep. Uh, Kelly has has been away from the Northwest at various times in her life and come back, and she's back here again now, living in Astoria. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a an organization or a restaurant uh, that has a venue in Seaside where we're working, and she is also opening up another venue with them uh, that she'll manage in Astoria. It's called the Sea Crab House, and I'm uh -huh. playing with. Saxophonist flutist Rob Sheps, who I'm sure you know, who's also lived in the Northwest at various times, although he was also originally from the East and is based back there now most of the time when he's not traveling. Uh -huh. So Rob is in the Northwest now, so we've been doing a few gigs together. And uh, so we're playing, thanks to Kelly, we're playing there this coming Saturday night. It's uh, 1480 Roosevelt Avenue yeah. in Seaside. And they are open to the public. This is not a streaming concert, so I'm assuming it will be some outdoor dining and socially distanced a small crowd inside with masks, obviously. Yeah. And, we're, yeah. and we were playing over there from five to eight. So anybody who's listening who happens to be at the coast or headed down that way, we would love to see you on Saturday night. Well, that's pretty unusual these days to get a live yeah. get a live gig. I'm actually doing one in town. I'd like to put a plug in for another great little venue. Sure. Uh, Vino Veritas, which is over at 78th and Southeast Stark. Uh -huh. uh, Sammy, the owner, is a wonderful man. 
who has a background, I think, in IT, um, where he had another successful job, maybe with software. And he sort of bought this wine bar, I think, kind of in his semi-retirement, although he's still consulting because his son, Jake, is a wonderful young jazz pianist. And like a lot of restaurants, they have uh, covered outdoor dining with heaters. And I've done that a number of times where you're playing to a small audience. Everybody's masked up and we're socially distanced. And he's doing music in there three or four nights a week, I think. Wow. Very, I just did that uh, the other night with bassist Laurent Nickel, who's a friend of mine here in town. And I've done that a few times with Laurent. And the people who come are very grateful to be able to hear live music. I bet. Yeah. Boy. Well, that's great. That's really good because it's very unusual for people to be playing live anywhere at, you know, at yeah. any time. Yeah, I yeah. think things will improve again a bit in spring and summertime when we get the warmer weather. But I think a few people are trying to do some outdoor gigs, socially distanced with, uh, you know, lots of ventilation and heaters and such. A few people are doing it. And as more of us get needles in our arms. Uh, that's coming soon for you and me and hopefully pretty soon. Yeah. You there? I am. Okay, I, th I thought we thought we lost it. We didn't. Okay, so uh, speaking of new, you've got a new album on Origin coming out. I do. I've actually three, if I can put in a quick plug for all of them. Two came out a few months ago. John Bishop and Matt Jorgensen are two drummers uh, who I've known for probably, I've known John since the 80s, when we started playing together with Jay Thomas and Bruce Ferris. And John and Matt have had the Origin record label for about 20 years, and I've yeah. been recording for about 20 years. I've got over 20 CDs in their catalog. And John and I play in a kind of cooperative band with bassist Jeff Johnson called Seams. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've done now six recordings with that group. And our first recording, we used a tenor player, Rick Mandyke. And then Rick had to take a vacation for almost 15 years from the horn because of a blown-out hernia that happened twice. Oh, jeez. But, but he's back and playing better than ever. So this is his first time on a recording in 20 years. We recorded in 2000. Mm -hmm. and we recorded again at the end of 2019. And that just came out. Uh, as, again, the group is called Scenes, and that CD is called Trapeze with Rick Mandak rejoining us. Mm -hmm. We've got another kind of a chamber group that a trumpet player and flugelhorn player Kevin Woods put together. He leads the jazz program at Western Washington in Bellingham, Washington. Kevin's been a friend for quite a while. Mm -hmm. but he assembled a kind of a chamber group with himself, Miles Black on piano, and me. And that's he created a little name for the group called Trio Lingue. And that one is called Signals. That came out about a month earlier. And the one that just came out is with, uh, it'll be out in, it's, yeah, it's out in February with a bassist and vocalist Dan Dean called Rain Painting. And that's a pretty unusual project. I know you've listened to some of it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, I was very, really very surprised because I, I did, that's not what we expect from John Stoll. No. Well, I mean, this normally, as you know, for a jazz project, given budget constraints and everyone's schedules, usually... If you're lucky enough, you have a working band, or if it's a band you're putting together, you do a couple of rehearsals or a gig, mm -hmm. you spend a day or two recording, and then you mix it, and it's done. In this case, this project took a year. And the way it started uh, was that I just contacted Dan because he'd mastered a record I'd done with Dave Liebman. So I knew about him, but we didn't know each other. And when after Dan and I had had a few email conversations, he said, I'm going to send you a project of mine. And he sent it to me. It's called Songs Without Words. It's on the the Origin Classical label. Mm -hmm. And Dan took movements of classical pieces and overdubbed his voices singing all the parts. And in some cases, he added electric bass. He's also a great electric bassist. He's not a classically trained singer, so it kind of sounds like the Beach Boys are singing Vivaldi. It's quite beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. So I had this little idea in the back of my head. Sometimes I'll just go for something that I think has a fairly unlikely chance of coming to fruition, but mm -hmm. some little... Uh, instinct tells me to just suggest a possibility. 
So I said to Dan, I've got these original songs, which are short, and they're chord melodies on the guitar. So I've got all the voicings notated, and I know you're technically more than capable of singing these little tunes if you can sing Flight of the Bumblebee, which he does beautifully. <laughs> and so I said, let me just, if you don't mind, he, I know he also is a very good engineer. He's had his own home studio for years. So I said, if you wouldn't mind, let me come up and say hello in person, and I can just record some of these melodies for you, just solo guitar, I'll leave you the charts so you can see the voicings notated, and then just listen. And when you have time, tell me if you think you might consider trying to layer some voices and see how it sounds. We had no idea if it would work. So initially, that's what I did. I recorded actually all the melodies ultimately on multiple visits to Seattle. Mm -hmm. And then Dan would send me works in progress of these different tunes where he'd layer in the voices. And then I thought it might be interesting if he maybe added some background voices, just this texture behind the solos. Mm -hmm. He added his bass tracks. And then I added my solos. And then from his sound library, he had got his, created some virtual drums and percussion. So it's mm -hmm. just the two of us. And he plays he bass, plays, too, right? Plays bass, yeah. yeah. So he's playing yeah. bass and then overdubbing bass solos. He's mm -hmm. actually scats quite well on a few of the tunes. He can also improvise quite well. And then he added the drums. So uh, this is, I'm guessing, on his part, hundreds of hours of polishing these mixes and mastering it all. Yeah. And uh, we're both quite proud of it. It doesn't, I mean, it sounds like a spontaneous sort of in-the-moment project, but it was you know, probably a year and a half in the planning and execution. But we're, you know, it's not, not like any, any of it, either one of us has ever done. And I thought, it, you know, his overdub voices brought my melodies to life in a really nice way, I think. Yeah, it's it's very unusual because you don't really, you don't get to hear very, very much very much scatting anymore. No, and Dan does it quite beautifully. And he says he never does it live. I mean, this is just sort of a closet vocal. Really? Wow. I think it's terrific. Huh, that's interesting. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the young uh, English virtuoso prodigy Jacob Collier, who plays seven, eight instruments and also sings uh -huh. and multiple layered voices and much more ambitious projects than ours in some cases. But some people have said that the textures remind them of, of our project, remind them a little bit of Jacob Collier, uh -huh. which is flattered because Jacob is a virtuoso and an incredible musical mind, still in his 20s with multiple Grammys and uh, yeah. tours all the world. He's, he's terrific. So but, uh, Dan's, the, you know, the texture of Dan's blended vo layered voices sounds a little bit like what something Jacob Collier might do. Have you ever recorded with anybody who who was uh, who who was known for scatting? Oh, sure, Nancy King. I was going to say that. Yeah. Nancy and I've done a couple of recordings together. She's yeah. one of the preeminent scat singers in jazz. Yes. I think Kelly Shannon actually scats quite well, and she and I've done a recording together. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Other singers that I like, my friend Kendra Shank and I have one project that we've recorded and done multiple gigs, and she doesn't scat in the conventional jazz way because her, her background initially was in folk music, but she has created a a very personal vocabulary in terms of how she improvises that I like. So it mm -hmm. is scatting, but really not the conventional jazz version of scatting. Mm -hmm. um, I've done a little bit of work with Kelly Johnson up in Seattle, although we've not recorded. Greta Matassa, they're both consummate jazz singers up in the Seattle area who both mm -hmm. improvise well. Mm -hmm. So I love working with good singers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I noticed that you play a, a fretless electric guitar on this album. What, 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 on, on a couple of tunes, yeah. You can also see that on my YouTube channel. Uh, basically... Uh -huh. A fretless guitar just gives you the ability to play semitones and things that a violin or a nude might play. Mm -hmm. I've also got it tuned lower, um, so that's the sound that I, you know, I can't. I'm very limited in terms of the chords I can play on it, but because I also had overdubbed guitars with the chords, it's not an issue. So I thought it might mm -hmm. be fun. I think mm -hmm. on three of the solos, I'm playing fretless baritone. You can mm -hmm. hear it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, how did you? Was it was that difficult to adapt? Uh, no, but, when, yeah, when you yeah. when you when you were learning how to play that guitar. Yeah, that guitar started as a fretted instrument, but I wasn't playing it much, but I liked the guitar, and I thought huh. it was sort of a gamble. I took it to a music shop here in town and said, let's take the frets out, and where the slots are, where the frets used to be, they put in pieces of plastic, 
Huh. And you actually can use those pieces, although the fingerboard feels smooth, just like a violin fingerboard, Tom. Uh -huh. uh, but with those pieces of plastic, those are my frames of reference. So you put your finger on the piece of plastic where the fret used to be to play it in tune. So the, the pieces of plastic kind of help me find my way on the neck. It should take some practice. Huh. Wow. You can actually uh, see me playing that guitar a bunch on my YouTube channel. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll put a link up. Uh, well, we'll put a link up to everything. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the tunes uh, on, on this album have, uh, did you name these or did he name these? No, those are all my names. The names are kind of funny. Sometimes I'll just, I mean, some of the names I get just from driving around in my travels. There's a tune called Nanty Glow. That's yeah. the name of a town in, outside of Pittsburgh. It's a, it was a Welsh <laughs> mining town. It means river of coal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what are some of the others? Um, well, Pretty Boy Floyd isn't, isn't exactly programmatic. Uh, no, I mean, that was actually a name for the engineer that did a bunch of sessions I played with up in Seattle. Oh, <laughs> not, the gangs, not, not, not the uh, gangster. Not the gangster. No, but, you know, people can sort of take their own meaning away from the title, which is which I like. Yes. Mandy Walk was named after a friend of mine's dog. We used to walk her together. That's Mandy. <laughs> so the titles, I like coming up with little funny off-the-wall titles that yeah. I don't take too seriously, you know. But Rain Painting is a very poetic title. Yeah, that actually, my friend Mike Pardue, who's a good musician here in town, good guitarist, he does all my transcribing for me when I want to write these things down. After I compose them, I compose them in my head and then I memorize them. And uh, I didn't have a title for it, and he was helping me transcribe it. And I said, "Any suggestions for a title?" And that was Mike's suggestion. I thought it worked great. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, so uh, let me let's get back to the the, the Saturday night gig now. Sure. Uh, you, you've been playing with Sheps for a long time, right? We've been friends for 20 years, done a bit of yeah. recording, a bunch yeah. of gigs, yeah. some group gigs. I used to sit in with his big band occasionally when he had that here. But primarily we played in duo, a little bit on the East and West Coast both. Uh -huh. And we both like that setting. And um, so uh, he's been out here now for a few months. So we played a few gigs at a friend's art gallery over in Camus on the first Fridays. Uh -huh. And we did something in Bay City the other night at a friend's art center that was streaming. And we're doing this gig uh, thanks to Kelly on Saturday. And I think yeah. we'll probably do a bit more before he leaves the area, hopefully. Uh, when it comes to making a set list for this gig on Saturday, do you, do you, do you, are you going to have a set list or are you just going to call out tunes? Well, we have, I mean, we do like doing things that are not the usual jam sessions. So Rob yeah. has composed some things and we're not doing any of my original tunes yet, although I may suggest a few of those later. Yeah. Rob's actually, Rob has a brand new CD out uh -huh. called The Churchill School that he recorded at Eastern Oregon in the fall that's out now, all his tunes. He's an, he's an interesting composer. So we'll do a few of his tunes we have some Joe Beam tunes that I like that are a little more obscure, not the usual ones that everybody plays. Some standards. We both like the composer trumpet player Kenny Wheeler. We do a few of his songs. Kenny Wheeler was fabulous. Yeah. I had a chance to hang out with him one time at a workshop in Banff up in Canada. Oh, one lucky of, you. One of my very favorite uh, composers, trumpet players, yeah, and yeah. Rob likes his work, too. What kind so of guy was he? Very self-effacing, unassuming, shy, quiet. That figures. You, you would think that. You know? Yeah, but uh, I mean, I just my interactions with him were very limited. It was just hello, Kenny, how are you? And you know, we played a few songs for a faculty concert together, so it was hardly a lot of interaction. But he seemed, but I've heard he also had a very good sense of humor, in kind of a dry, understated way. But uh -huh. such a personal, beautiful sound, and a lot of his recordings I think are so beautiful. And he had uh, wonderful collaborations with people like John Taylor, Norma Winston, John sure. Abercrombie, and many sure. others. Yeah, terrific music. Rob is a singular personality. Rob is a, Robin, it is a, it's a, he's a creative force. He's a, he's a breath of New York. <laughs> That's for sure. He can also arrange for a big band, actually. I hired him to arrange a few of my original tunes for big band, so I may uh -huh. 
eventually try to have five or six charts for big band. So if I'm going to a college, I can maybe suggest a concert doing some of my tunes with, with big band arrangements. Well, well I haven't. Yeah, I was over at Falcon Studios one one time when he was recording uh, with his big band uh, at, sure. with Chuck uh, Israels. I remember I remember those sessions. Yeah, yeah. you told me about. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm not sure if they're going to put that out, but I think I think Chuck is happy with it with the end result. I'm not I'm not well, sure why. I hope so because it's been 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, a little while. Ago. Sometimes projects sit on the shelf for a while. Sometimes it's, it's amazing, you know. Yeah, that happens. That album that just came out with the uh, the quadraphones and Andrew Durkin. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, it's, it almost became a joke because every time I would interview one of them, because there's so many of them to interview, there's, there's, there's you know, four quads and, and Durkin. And right. they've, all, they've all had interesting projects since then. But the one thing was, when is the album coming out? And it finally came out. Because uh, Durkin's, well, Durkin, Durkin's a funny guy. I don't know him, but I know his name. Yeah, he's one of those guys where the his music is, is has a lot of humor in it, but he's not that funny when you talk to okay. him. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes, like Woody Allen, I think in person is pretty understated and doesn't yeah. like to be on when he's yeah. off camera too. Mm -hmm. Now he's he's become an intellectual. He's written books and stuff. Anyway, so anyway, um, so uh, what's what 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 do you got in, in the works? Well, some more things, uh, more educational things that are ongoing. I've got um, some longstanding relationships with a company called True Fire out of Florida, where I have five uh, courses you can buy online and. You can get online lessons with me through their site. Another smaller company called DC Music, that's Dennis Chang. I have three courses with him. I'm creating some uh, uh, courses for a company called IA Music in China. That's new. Um, I've also got online lessons you can buy as individual lessons at a site called Mike's Master Classes, and I'm mm -hmm. creating new classes, in some cases, with other guitar players for him. So the educational component is something I enjoy, and so I really try to expand my ongoing presence online through these companies and offering online lessons, especially in the last year. And I enjoy teaching. I like doing it. How has your teaching evolved over time? Uh, I think what I try to do, and I hope I do it a little better than I used to, is take what is a fairly complex language, but break it down into sort of small, easily absorbable chunks of harmonic information that are very easy to understand, and knowing that it takes a lifetime to refine it and make it sound good. Yeah. But, you know, you can take this language, which just on the face of it sounds so complex, and break it down into these small uh, pieces of information that you can digest and find quickly on the instrument and incorporate it into your playing. And I never get tired of watching a student get excited to learn something new when they find it on their instrument. Yeah. So part of my job also is to engage the student and not intimidate them and remind them that I'm a student too and we're working on something together. So part of it is just kind of a lot of positive reinforcement, you know, trying to build relationships, making yourself available to students. Mm -hmm. That's a little more challenging in an online environment, but, but certainly mm -hmm. possible. So, you know, I have some semi-regular students now, and I've got friends all over the world that I like to interact with, and I want to keep those connections so that I hopefully will have the ability to get back out again on the road as soon as I can. Do you miss being on the road? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's actually been kind of interesting to be here. I've never been here this long that I can remember, actually. Really? I've, wow. wow. I've had two trips to Seattle in the last year, Tom, and then Camas, Washington, and the coast. That's it. Oh, normally, man. Yeah, normally I'm on the road between seven and nine months of the year. Yeah. So this is it's an adjustment, but actually I haven't minded it. I mean, I'm just trying to reach out to more people online that I wouldn't have communicated with on a regular basis and trying to I'm actually playing a fair amount locally, just socially distanced jam sessions, either in big rooms or with uh -huh. some of these outdoor gigs. So I'm actually playing every week with friends. Wow, that's good. So I remember, I'm in pretty good shape, thankfully. Yeah, I remember when I did the TV story on you, the last yeah, the, la sure. the last shot was of you driving off. I remember when we staged that shot. Yeah, you see, <laughs> yes. here and get in the car, and I still have that car, Tom. Do you? 
still have that red Toyota Corolla. It has wow. about three hundred and seventy-five thousand miles on it now. It was new, and when we did the ship, when we did the, 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 the that segment, but I still have it. It's still, run. I bought that from one of David Friedson's sons. Jeez. He's a Toyota salesman, and it still runs well. Still Good for right. you. <laughs> so, do people still ask you why you hold a guitar like that? Yeah, and I, if they haven't seen me before, I'm happy to answer the question, and it's yeah. always the same answer. Uh, although I, <laughs> I've noticed in some earlier shots of me, it was almost completely vertical, and now I brought the neck angle down a little bit, but it's still up probably at about 90 degrees, you know, higher than most people. But if you have small hands and you want to have some large reaches with cords, it just facilitates you being able to reach in some of those larger stretches. That, that's the only reason I do it. Yeah, yeah. It, still, it still feels comfortable over the years. Thankfully, no issues with tendonitis or carpal tunnel, the usual yeah. repetitive things that you know can be problems for guitar players. I have not had any of those problems, thankfully. I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, where, where you hold it. It does, maybe. And also that I have my guitars strong with light strings, low action, so they're physically easy to play. Yeah. But I maintain a good posture and stay relaxed. And, yeah. you know, I'm not playing seven hours a day. I might put uh -huh. in two or three hours in a, game, in a given day. That's it. So, you know, I see some, some people playing beautifully in their middle to late 80s. So with luck, I hope to be able to have, have my best work in front of me. It yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I, it feels like it could be if I'm lucky. Yeah. So how did uh, you know the the actual placement of the neck? Has that 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 uh, you say you, you you're not not as vertical as you used to be? Uh, how did you how did you you know uh, land on on the most comfortable position for you? Uh, it's kind of trial and error, Tom. I mean, it was nothing I'd sort of consciously decided to do. And I've always sort of held the guitar neck up a little higher, even going back to the 70s. I'm yeah. just looking. I'm looking as we speak at my first seat, my first album, actually. Like, just keep it in my apartment's little memory. And I'm holding it up at kind of a high angle even then. So that was in mm -hmm. my mid-20s. So I sort of arrived wow. at that huh. even then. So, uh -huh. Huh. But, uh, you know, it's, if you look at every different guitarist in jazz, we all have our own specific uh, ways that we approach the instrument in terms of right-hand picking technique, how we hold the instrument, how the left hand looks. It's so personal. You know, there's no um, there's no one right way to do it. I mean, Pat Metheny's technique, to me, looks wrong. It sounds perfect, and it works beautifully <laughs> for him. You know, so if you just listen to him, I mean, it doesn't look like he's forcing anything. It looks fluid, but his, his thumb on his left hand is generally up over the top of the neck, and uh, he picks in a very unusual way, holding the pick between his thumb and two fingers, because he started picking with a flexible pick when he was very young. That's the only way he could get a sound, was grabbing it with the thumb and then two fingers. But oh. if you just listen to it, technically it's perfect. You know, he you know, he has exactly what he needs. So it's it's working beautifully for him. Well, personal is a good word because if, if if anybody could describe your music, it is absolutely personal. Yeah. I mean, I think the folks who are original uh, will probably all tell you the same thing. You can't really plan how you're going to sound if you have an original voice. It, part of it is mm -hmm. just maybe having eclectic tastes and part of it is just choosing not to copy anyone in particular because you don't really hear anyone that compels you enough to want to copy them exactly so that you want to somehow find your own voice. Uh -huh. So, you know, some folks who have original voices of our generation uh, did not transcribe, and I didn't either. Uh, so I don't think John Scofield transcribed. I don't think uh -huh. Bill Friedel did. Pat Metheny did, and he certainly has original voice. So uh -huh. I wouldn't tell someone not to transcribe if they're inclined to do it. Um, uh -huh. But basically... Um, you know, I think uh, an original voice just has to happen in, in an organic way. You can't really plan it. And I think I'm also influenced by piano players, maybe as much as guitar players, in terms of my approach to comping and chord voicings. And, yeah. uh, you know, Jim Hall, who was, I would say, an influence, uh, said he was influenced a lot by some of the great swing-era tenor players in terms of breathing on the guitar, leaving space, mm -hmm. the way he constructs his melodies. So all that kind of factored in somehow to my approach. And but I can tell you that I think my voice, such as it is, is still evolving and changing a bit. 
In what way? Uh, I think maybe I'm trying to focus a little more on melody and compositional intention when I improvise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, dissonance for the sake of it, I try to avoid, although I think to so many people, my playing would sound kind of dissonant and abstract. Uh, I'm trying to find a little better balance between the dissonant complex harmony and the more basic foundation of the harmony when I play and when I solo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm also still trying to refine how I converse with other musicians uh, in terms of how I can support them and leave enough space for them. I think space is a critical component of the music mm-hmm. in the sense that uh, we want to have, if you're playing with others, you want to allow enough space for the conversation to unfold. You know, so basically, um, mm-hmm. uh, if you're filling all that space up as a guitar player, it kind of shuts down that possibility of, of a real conversation. Do you remember a, a time when you said to yourself that you've that you you you've actually you found your voice? Well, I think I'd probably by I'm guessing by the 90s when I was in my 40s, it felt like I had something that even even actually my first record, it didn't sound exactly like anybody else. But I'd say, you know, I think think like I was sort of more along the path, you know, 15, 20 years later. But as I said, I think it's still evolving. But I think you could probably recognize me in the 1990s as being me. Uh, and that's, you know, whether or not someone likes you, I think that's great if someone, I mean, it's great if someone hears you and recognizes you and likes you, ideally. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm certainly not going to please everybody. I mean, some people will post comments, obviously, on your YouTube clips or on a video. And generally, people, if they take the time to post, we're going to say something nice. But some people don't like your playing, and they'll tell you. And that's really okay. There's no way I can please everybody. I don't even want to try. You know, it's not going to happen. Well, as far as comments on YouTube videos i mean you can just uh, negative comments anyway it's like you know it's like people have just been uh, turned into into negative commenters as a, as, as a way of life uh, yes and no but i think generally uh you know my feeling especially in these times when everyone is stressed and trying to adapt to this reality let's try to build each other up and stay positive and help each other any way we can so if that means just leaving a nice comment on somebody's video just to lift them up a little or try to support each other as musicians by sharing contact information or praising somebody's work. I think that's all important. Yeah. Well, John, thank you very much for you know uh, giving us your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, uh, is there is there a tune from uh, from um, Rain Painting that uh, we could go out on? Sure, you could pick anyone. I'm trying to think of one that we, I mean, you could take Rain Painting. That's the title. If we'll, you can find we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Thank Great. you very much, John. Tom, it's a pleasure, and let's stay in touch. I'd love to see you live at the gig sometime when, when circumstances permit. That's entertainment.